0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are Bigfoot and other cryptids operating in one of the most populated areas of the American Northeast? Since UFOs are often seen in close proximity, could there be a relationship? Is the government or someone covering up Bigfoot?
1: Well, hello, and welcome to the 791st broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM, and this is our 11th year on the air. I'm Ben, and those identified questions came from my co-host, Partnering the Paranormal, and Dad, Paul. And uh, today we bring you a new guest for an unusual look at one of our favorite subjects. And uh, we welcome your calls today. Uh number is uh, 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. And you can email Paul at com, Or you can also message us on Facebook as well. For those who don't like getting involved with uh, voice-to-voice conversations, we can just do text-to-voice.
0: Uh, okay. It's a little
1: weird <clears throat> way of putting it, but hopefully sure. you understand my meaning. <laughs>
0: Well, before we introduce our guest, I have to mention uh, the translation uh, two weeks ago of Lorraine Warren, uh, of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, they were, uh, for those who don't know, <coughs> I suppose the grandparents of modern ghost hunting, and they were immortalized in the two Conjuring films, 2013 and then the one, uh, I think it was three years ago. Um, it I worked with them for six years in the 1970s, uh, while I was, mostly while I was in the seminary, and we had quite a few adventures. And I was uh, pretty close, particularly to, to Lorraine, and uh, while we kind of parted ways in 1978, because I, I didn't, really didn't like the way they did things, um, I look back now on many, many happy memories uh, of Lorraine and uh, Godspeed and, and uh, memory eternal. So making her debut on the show is Gail J. Beatty of Bigfoot Researchers of the Hudson Valley. Gail, the mother of four, lives in the Hudson Valley and has always spent much time hiking and camping. Uh, I quote from her bio, I grew up on the base of Stissing Mountain in the town of Pine Plains in Dutchess County. When I was a teenager, I decided to do a solo camp out on the mountain behind our house. At that time, I had never heard of Bigfoot. I spent many hours on the mountain hunting, tracking, and enjoying nature. What happened that night changed my life, unquote. We'll ask her about the rest of that story in a minute. Uh, but her group does believe that the big guy is alive and well in this lovely part of New York State, just north of New York City, one of my favorite places. Uh, Gail is co-author with Deborah Ray of A Young Researcher's Guide to Bigfoot. We should probably read that before we go to Pennsylvania, Ben. Uh, check out Bigfoot Researchers of the Hudson Valley on Facebook.
1: So, Gail Beatty, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, well, it's great to have you. So I guess uh, we'll we'll start off with you know a very simple question. Uh, but it's deceptively simple, so it could probably take up the whole show. So I guess really it's kind of a a basic thing. Uh, There's a lot of debate about what Bigfoot actually is. You know, flesh and blood primate, um, you know, multiversal visitor, alien, spirit. So what say you? What is Bigfoot?
2: Well, when I first started my investigation, as many people probably go through the same thing, you think you're looking for a big hairy ape that lives in the woods and eludes people and uh, so it was about a year into the research before i started really questioning this whole thing and saying you know from the, the, the disappearing um the tracks like one track would be found and no others um just the paranormal aspect of it i realized that there's more to it than just the big hairy ape in the woods so um as I'm going into my ninth year of researching, I'm thinking more along the lines of possibly alien manipulation of the DNA way back a long time ago because they have abilities that we just cannot figure out. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of, and more like thousands of people have experienced strange phenomenon, right, and Disappearing and uh, just too many things for it to just be a normal animal in the woods. So no. I'm I'm leaning towards I think uh, an alien connection. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So kind of like um maybe like the idea of, of like Gigantopithecus or something like that. You know, maybe it was something messed with by aliens. Yeah. Is that that kind of kind of in the in your it's wheelhouse? A, it,
2: yeah, I believe it's a human hybrid. I've. Uh, studied some of Melba Ketchum's DNA study, and the mitochondrial DNA is human, and the nuclear DNA is unknown. So something got messed up somewhere along the line. I'm reading uh, Ron Moorhead's book, The Quantum Bigfoot, right now, and like, like he said, there are so many different theories with the Nephilim. And, um, you know, gigantic pithecus and even the government manipulating DNA. Stalin tried it years ago and, uh, you know, trying to crossbreed human women with apes to make a superior race of soldiers. So none of us really know the truth yet, but there's a lot of hypotheses, you know, about it. So, but as for me, I'm leaning towards an alien connection. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I guess kind of with that being said, tell us about your first experience and kind of how you got into Bigfoot research.
2: Okay, so I went up on the mountain and I set up my camp and I was just sitting there, it was starting to get dark and I'm in this little pup tent and I heard this god-awful owl and it sounded like it was right in the tree above me and but it didn't sound like a normal owl. It sounded like an 800-pound owl, actually. And a few seconds later, the most God-awful, loudest, terrifying scream, yell, howl, like it started low, and then it just got louder and louder. It vibrated my chest. And I had never heard of Bigfoot. This is in the late 60s. And so I just froze in fear. I couldn't move. Um, I'm thinking all kinds of things in my head, like whatever this is, it's going to kill me if I sit here. So I just got up my nerves to bolt out of this tent, and I was up on a ravine. So I slid down about 80 feet and hit the ground running and made it back into the house, white, shaking, crying. Uh, my parents were sitting there watching television, and they're like, what's the matter? What's wrong? And I said, there's something up there, and it's after me. And that was, like, back in the late 60s. And it wasn't until 2011 when I was watching that Finding Bigfoot show on Animal Planet that they played a, a howl like that. And I instantly froze and I looked at it and I said, that's what it was that night. So I went online and I Googled Bigfoot sightings in Dutchess County, New York. And the first one that came up back in, I think it was 85, was a road crossing by two women. One was a prison guard, and her friend were going down my road, Lake Road, in Pine Plain, and had a daytime sighting. So that kind of confirmed, you know, what I already believed to be true, and I immediately started my group, and I was always on farms, milking cows and driving tractors and always an outdoors person. So I started contacting some of my friends that had farms. And, um, well, luckily, my one friend that's only a few miles from here, he told me a story of he had one looking in his window a number of years prior to 2011, and it was a big black uh, Sasquatch. So I started investigating on his farm and finding hair on the barbed wire fence, um, tracks, and also his cows were spooked out of an area. They broke down a steel gate and fence to get out of this area. We did find a carcass, the whole carcass of one of his cows that went missing up there in the woods. The cows refused to go back into this one area. So that was a good place to start. And since then, it's just uh, spiraled into pretty much taking over my life. In a way,
1: a good way, though. Hmm. That's really interesting, and um, I always, I'm always fascinated by hearing um, people's experiences of of Bigfoot because there it goes in like a couple of different directions, and um, you know, kind of leads me to ask you this question. I pretty much ask every other researcher is why are some encounters very hostile and some you know incredibly docile?
2: Right. Um, I've experienced both. Um, And for the most part, I mean, they could have harmed us at any time. I don't go alone. I usually go with at least three to five or six people when we do go into these areas that know the Sasquatch habitate. And um, uh, just a couple of times they were angry. And I'll relate one story to you. Um, This gentleman had contacted me. Soon after I started my group, and he had a lot of activity on his property, he just built a house, he put a pond in, and um, I guess the one, uh, one of his workers that just finished the, digging out the pond left his big machine out in the front, and uh, the man heard something outside, and he got out on the porch, and he sees this dark figure standing by this huge uh, backhoe. And he was from the city, so he didn't know what it was, and he thought it was a bear standing on two legs. And the next day when the worker came, he saw gigantic uh, five-toed human-like footprints in, in the uh, soft dirt around where he had dredged the pond and by the machine. So um, it went on, and we were investigating there, putting up trail cameras, and uh, we, he would leave food out on the every single day, like peanut butter and jelly and uh, all kinds of stuff he would leave for them, and they would take, he would put them in Ziploc bags, and they would take the bags off into the woods and split, like, just split a slice to open and take out the sandwich or whatever, so one night we decided to have these men from Massachusetts, actually, uh, they were researchers, and they contacted me and said, we have a clear camera. We'd love to come and investigate with you. So this was December 30th. I think it was 2014. So we scoped out the place when they got there. It was still light, and we decided we'd have a bite to eat, and we'll go out and, you know, do our investigation. Well, uh, I walked out on the porch. I was ready to go. The guys were gearing up. As soon as I stepped out on his porch, a huge tree got broken and crashed down into the creek. That was, you know, where we were going to investigate. So I said, hurry up, guys. You know, they're, they're breaking down trees out here. So we all went out and we started approaching the uh, the fence line. And to the right, uh, the man that had the clear camera started to yell, contact, contact. So we all gathered over, and he was filming four of them. And so he was handing the camera to everyone so they could see, you know, through the camera, and he was videotaping it at the same time. And he handed it to me, and I'm a lefty, and I accidentally hit the button. So I didn't get to see what everyone else did until we got back in and played the film. But it angered them so much that they, and I have the pictures here and they're on my uh, Facebook page and in my photos. They broke probably 12, to 14, 15-inch tree, live trees like pretzels. So then, you know, I said, all right, guys, we angered them. They know they're being filmed. And I said, let's get back to the house. So everybody turns except the two, the homeowner and one other gentleman. And all of a sudden, this light, I think it was a blue light, they said, shot up into the sky, and everything went silent, dead silent. So we just went into the house, put the film in, and we do have a few minutes of the the four Sasquatch and with heat signatures and everything. So that was a pretty scary night. But if they wanted to harm us, they could have jumped over that rickety fence and, you know, done whatever they wanted to us. Mm.
0: So mm-hmm.
2: that was pretty scary, though. It yes,
0: was... <clears throat> excuse me. The, uh, a number of things you mentioned, Gail, uh, really ring a bell as far as, uh, lots of interviews we've done. Uh, a common theme <clears throat> in the vocalizations is that one, when one is close to uh, one of these creatures, the, uh, you know, the, the chest vibrates <clears throat> because yeah. of the, uh, intense, <clears throat> excuse me, the intensity of the sound. Uh, that that's uh, so that really rings a bell. Um, my own experience, and I only had one, possibly two, did not involve any vocalizations. One was in 1967 in, in New Mexico in the mountains. There, uh, no no vocalizations, uh, no sighting. I was in a tent, and the mm-hmm. guy, the other kid in the tent, said, "Don't you dare open that flap!" <laughs> and we could feel um, there there was a huge. There was a vibration as something seemingly on two legs walked. This is just as the sun was breaking the horizon like around 4 a.m. Uh, uh I mean, that sort of thing, but I didn't see anything. The, uh, the one in September 2016 was more dramatic in Pennsylvania. And, uh, there was, um, again, no vocalization. There was a very peaceful one experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't face to face, but I was about 200 feet away and you could see in the brilliant moonlight. Uh, the, the the two legs going up and down and and the, uh, the the head bowed as if looking for something in the grass. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Shane Searway, our our uh, one of our co-hosts here, was um, having <clears throat> the previous May had had an experience of a black haired Sasquatch creature such as you described. So, yeah. but again, no vocalizations. Uh, so yeah. next time we're down, perhaps we can we can get get the chorus going. But <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> Another thing too that you mention is this this beam of light. That's very interesting. The the blue beam phenomenon, as you probably know, is uh, supposedly associated with alien abductions. You know, yeah. and we have, we have photographs of it or something mm-hmm. like it. Um, is is this one of the reasons you believe there may be an alien connection or whatever it is we mean by alien? Yes,
2: I, I do. And actually, I want to mention another little, uh, story about the light. These fishermen, because I own a bait and tackle shop here on, uh, the Sawkill Creek. And so we rent boats and everything, but we have a steel deck bridge out in, on the road in front of our house. And one night these two guys, uh, were fishing and it was around 2 a.m. And they said all of a sudden this blue light shot down from the sky and there was, they They didn't know what the heck to do, so they went and got a spotlight and shined it because they heard, like, leaves of of trees breaking, boughs breaking, and they shined it across the pond, and there was a silhouette of this huge creature. Hmm. A few minutes later, my neighbor across the street had something walking along on her porch, and then my other neighbor, right down from her, was out... um, had a campfire and she was sitting around, you know, enjoying the fire and she heard this huge limb quack and she jumped up and went to house and locked the door and the next day I went out with a tracker and trapper friend of mine across the street and sure enough we found a huge bow broken and about a 16-inch track right there. Um, so, yeah, there's another blue light uh, example. So it's yeah. just strange,
0: it's very strange. I spent the better part of last weekend with, um, and, and Ben met him as well, uh, Mike uh, Cleland. Mike uh, has been on the show before, and he's going to be on again. And he has a very interesting approach to the, in uh, fact, he, he lives in New York as well, but north of you in the Adirondacks. Okay. He has a, interesting ideas about owls as Some sort of messengers from whomever, you know, and and there have been some bigfoot uh, connections, things of this kind. And when I first heard that, um, I said, "What, you know, owl?" But then I read the book, and uh, you know, it it makes some sense um, that there's some sort of connection there. What what do you think about that? Have you run into? I noticed you, you mentioned an owl sound. And, yeah. and bigfoot as a mimic uh, comes up a yes. lot in our Pennsylvania case, mimicking chickens and even people. Yeah, um, yeah. So, what, what, what have you had owl experiences in connection with bigfoot? Well,
2: yeah, uh, quite a few people have have claimed to hear the 800 pound owl right <laughs> before they will have a an encounter. Yeah. And I also think that crows or ravens. Um, because I was in Kentucky visiting Connie Imming, one of our team members, and we went to land between the lakes LBL, which is notorious for that uh, horrible, you know, mutilation of a family by a dog man, which is an entirely different show. But um, mm, yeah, we went there, and um, we had we went to this bison and elk farm, and as soon as we got into this one parking lot. All of these crows started crowing from quite a distance away. And the next thing, they're, they're almost like messengers to us. They flew right directly over us in our car. We filmed it. We're like, they're letting the Bigfoot know that we're here. Hmm. I, I just believe that there's some kind of connection with uh, crows and ravens. It, it's just odd. But whenever we're out in the field... Um, You know, investigating, sometimes we just sit quietly filming or we stage with our Native American white sage and we gift them with tobacco and we ask permission to enter the forest where we know they are. We're very respectful to them and I believe that's one of the reasons that I haven't been harmed (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. because some people go in with uh, bad intentions, all I'm going to shoot one so that I could prove it to the world. Yep. Well, we don't think like that. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do that because they're human-like. They have language and everything. But, um, yeah, I definitely could see an owl as a messenger or a crow or a raven. Yeah.
0: See, that, that's what we do. is, and, and we say you go in quietly and with respect. And ju- just as you described it, that's... Yes. And so my experience, my uh, encounter was very peaceful. I felt privileged. Uh, I yeah. did <clears throat> not feel threatened at all. And, and I was up in this field at the top of this very rounded hill where some a lot of odd things have happened. That's kind of my, well, yeah. my favorite stakeout point in that, in that triangle mm-hmm. area. And yeah. um, it was, it, it certainly was as you say. Now interestingly, a, a little girl, and I've mentioned this on the air before, had a terrible experience, you know, less than a tenth of a mile from there. Oh, with uh um, you know and she she still won 't talk to us, and we we 're out there at least you know at least once a year doing neighborhood meetings and things like that right and right. um she and she just she still won 't talk to us because you have these weird guys from New England with beards, maybe that 's it i don 't know mm-hmm. but uh, in any case, we hope to get to that so so just that 's a lead into the next question mm-hmm. uh, you have described that you have said that you 've had very um uh positive experiences and some negative experiences could you describe a couple of those or or at least you've collected stories from people
2: well actually i can tell you a funny experience that they they are tricksters and i think that the juveniles um are doing most of these tricky things like they they've come around my house my front door put a handprint on the the front door on the side of my house um you know, just little little funny things, moving stones around, um, you know, stuff like that. But one day, I raised chickens and I free range them. I have ten right now, but mm-hmm. um, and I have a rabbit hutch and I had two bunnies in the hutch, one on the top and one below. And so I kind I of gone out and fed them and uh, let them loose. And the next thing, I went back over to give the rabbit a carrot or something. And one of my hens was up in the pen with these rabbits with the latch locked, you know, just a hook and eye. But still, uh, how could this chicken get up in there with this rabbit? It was just comical. And I just have to blame them because, uh, you know, first of all, the chickens don't just let you pick them up, you know. They're they're free range and they're friendly, but they are not going to just stand there and let. You pick them up and put them in a rabbit head. <laughs> so I think that that was a juvenile messing around um, because I do have them here on my property. We own almost 10 acres on the Stock Hill Creek going up uh, the creek. And um, one day I was fishing with a friend of mine, Jesse, and I said, let's get off on the shore here because we own a piece of property we could possibly fit a little cabin on. So I climbed out of the boat, got on the shore, immediately looked down, find the head of one of these huge carp that we have in this pond. So I said, God, look at this. Then I found broken off, you know, snapped off branches. So I'm crawling through this, like, maze and kind of a trail, and um, I see this nest about 12 to 14 feet around, like a dome shape with vines and branches, and, you know, I, I knew a beaver didn't make it because we have beaver here, and, you know, they make the dams and everything, but this was, like, placed there, and there was an opening in the front, low to the ground, and then a stick stuck directly in front of this, the opening. And then I looked around a little more, and I saw where they make these little, um. it's almost like a cubby where they can hide. They'll put sticks and, um, you know, branches and stuff, and they'll hide behind that when they're hunting for deer, beaver, muskrat. You know, they'll eat just about anything. So I, I said, oh, my God, Jesse, I said, here's a nest. I said, we better get out of here because they must have young because a lot of times we believe that they will make these nests to shelter the young ones while they go off hunting. So we we left but we've had wood knocks, we've had whistles um here. I I do rent boats to fishermen and we've had a couple of rock throwing uh, incidents hmm. here on the pond. So, you know, it's it's fascinating, but they haven't harmed my animals. I have dogs, cats, birds, dogs, everything. They've never harmed an animal here.
0: Okay. Which yeah. Well, we're going to take our uh, bottom-of-the-hour break, and then we're going to come back with a lot of listener questions for Gail here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful but wet Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hi, Mooseman here. The group line is there every Thursday live between 1 and 2 p.m. and replayed at 6 to 7 p.m. All your favorites, a variety of rock, and the Beatles every single week. That's the Groove line right here on ON. And we're back already. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben, you know, on W O O N Radio. And our guest today is Gail Beatty from the uh, Bigfoot Researchers of the Hudson Valley over in New York State. And we're having a great conversation. So let's go to some questions. Uh, we have okay. one from uh, P- our, our very faithful listener, Peter, in Columbia, South America. And then we take number one from Peter.
1: Already. So Peter writes to us. Uh since the Hudson Valley uh is a UFO hot spot, sorry, while I try to remember how to read English, uh do you have any cases of or reports where both phenomena have been involved?
2: Hmm. Not specifically. No. Not you know, I'm I'm sure there have been, but a lot of times people don't report what they see. I believe that the percentage is very low, like out of 10 uh, encounters, only one gets reported. So I, I'm pretty sure that there have been, especially over in the Pine Bush area, where that's the UFO capital of New York State.
0: Yeah, there's yeah. a big, big festival every year. They, they keep yes. saying they're going to invite us, but they haven't yet.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm going to be there. Debbie and I are going to be set up there uh you know, with our evidence and um, selling some bigfoot t-shirts and UFO t-shirts too.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but to answer your question specifically, not no, I haven't. But now that's, that's interesting. People.
0: Have Have you seen you know on, on uh, outdoor expeditions uh, red lights in the woods? Because the reason I ask you is that they're all over the Pennsylvania area we're investigating. Everybody you talk to, everybody who comes to the neighborhood meetings, has seen bigfoot. Uh, and strange lights in proximity we, well, we've seen them in pro- you know ourselves yeah yeah,
2: yeah. i've seen eyes uh, shine which has been red and green.
0: Oh, okay yeah, yeah.
2: um and they're like their eyes the, the set that i saw here across our creek in 2013 i believe uh at night and um they were like two sets of green LED light, and I yelled across the creek, because no one's over there, it's a farmer's field, and I said, who's over there? Because it was, you know, around 9.30, 10 at night, and they immediately turned and disappeared. But um we're doing an investigation in a house in Saugerties, New York, it's across the river in Ulster County, and um, the people there are, well, we know they have big, but we've cast what, four tracks there, we've, they've smacked the side of the house, they've left handprints, um, they've, uh, you know, frightened the homeowners, a young, beautiful couple with some young children, and so we've been on, doing ongoing investigations, and just recently, the uh, homeowners have reported strange, or like light, and um, last week or the week before, they were out on the deck watching these lights, and the woman said, I'm going to run in and get my uh, cell phone to videotape this. As soon as she said that, the light, the order of light started heading right towards them at a high rate of speed, so they both ran in the house. And I advised them not to be messing around with, you know, that kind of phenomenon, because you never know, you know, if there, an abduction could occur, you know, hmm. it's just too risky,
0: hmm. too risky. Yep. What, One of the things with eyes shine is that uh, something has to be shining into the eyes to make the shine. Uh, uh, one of the things with the, the Mothman phenomenon, you know, in the 60s, right. uh, and with some Bigfoot uh, encounters, is that there they seem to be self-luminescent yeah. eyes. Yeah. So what's yep. that about? I mean, are they artificial well, or...
2: I don't know. I mean, I'm reading in Ron Moorhead's book, and he he gets into quite a bit of the answers that he's he's been doing it for 45 years, Mm. and he's the one that has the Sierra sounds, and I respect him a lot, so I just started reading his book a couple of days ago, and he's talking about, you know, all these different possibilities and theories about these creatures, but I definitely believe that you know they have abilities that are so much advanced from us and it could be with quantum physics that we just you know the scientists are, are not really on board a lot of the scientists aren't willing to step out of their comfort zone and really look into this phenomenon the way they should be yes okay. You know,
0: Okay, we have, we have another question. This is from Rick in San, uh, San Francisco. Uh, is there any evidence that Bigfoot dwells or lives underground?
2: Yes. Okay. Yes, there is. Yep. Some people, uh, believe that they, I know they go into cave systems. Um, Monmouth Cave, uh, has some strange activity. A lot of caves in, um, Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee. A lot of reports of strange phenomenon happening, and um, I think it's Lori Simmons wrote a book. Her dad was investigating the Sasquatch for many, many years, and she started investigating after his death, and she, they would go to a certain tree, and all of a sudden, they would hear something, something coming out of this the root system of this tree, and... Oh, God, the book, I have the book here, and I haven't, you know, it was a couple of years ago, I read it, but she definitely believes that they they dwell underground, which makes sense because a lot of times people say they smell like a kind of a rotten egg, like a sulfur odor, mm-hmm. and that would make sense for them to be under the ground in caves.
0: Well, the question arises, uh, even, even with some sort of underground dwelling, Unless uh, an area is uh, honeycombed with caverns, uh, and particularly your area, which is within, you know, relatively close proximity of, of the largest metropolitan area in the east. Right. Um, you know, it, it still doesn't explain, if, if it's a, a flesh and blood creature, you'd need a breeding population. Yeah. And you know, people are going to notice this. And they'll say, well, people say, "Well, how often do you see a bear?" Well, people see bears relatively frequently, right? You know, and this sort of thing. I, mean, I get it, but I mean, uh, it's uh, the underground idea doesn't uh, to me doesn't seem good enough to explain, you know, where well, they would may, go if they're yeah. not multiversal, or or as you say, yeah, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, they they are breeding because we've gotten tracks um, as small as five inches seven inches, nine inches, along with, you know, adult tracks as well, and so we know that they're breeding here, and like I said, if they are interdimensional, then, you know, they could come and go at will. Maybe they're coming through portals. A lot of people seem to believe that water is is a, a portal for these creatures, mm. and certainly I live on on this beautiful creek here, which is just, uh you know, if that's true. Sure. So, they, they also make these shelters, like they're not actually shelters because a lot of times they're like a teepee-like structure yep. or something, seen but that they, don't, yeah. Yeah, they don't keep them dry or, you know, they wouldn't be a shelter they could live in all the time, mm-hmm. but more and more people are starting to observe these structures, so you know, I, it's just such a mystery that I just wish that we could have the funding to really, you know, put out an all out, you know, nationwide kind of research. But the trail cameras only t- deter them. Like that's what we do when people call us because we do residential investigations. And so the first thing we do is, you know, walk around, check the whole area out, look for vantage points that there's you know, watching the homes and then we tell the people get motion lights, put them up all around your house, leave, you know, the Porsche lights on, close all your curtains and shades at night, and then we go and put trail cameras up. Mm-hmm. And facing out and that deters them. Now I don't I think you guys saw that thirty five inch track that we got in Rhinebeck back over the winter. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, yesterday we hold the cameras from there, so I have the chip to research, you know, for the next few days. But um, he's afraid. That the homeowners afraid now that you know the creatures are going to come back because ever since we put out the cameras, the activity has stopped. Hm. So yeah, that's
0: uh, that's interesting. Uh, when I had my experience in '16, uh, the cameras are all pointed in another direction because we were looking for strange lights in the sky you know oh. and uh and it was just it was way outside the uh, the field of, of the cam- the cameras were covering. so uh and one of the things too uh, is the, t- the tree connection as well uh after I had my sighting there uh at th- there were lights that appeared in a tree across the field th- they looked like ordinary spotlights, and the right. next um the next night at a neighborhood meeting, uh, I was telling my experience, and a hand went up, and uh, the woman said that, well, that was her and her son, who had heard something, they, they'd come into their house, which is just on the other side of the hill, they'd heard something big moving through the field while I was seeing it, and they went up with spotlights, and I said, why were you shining lights into the trees? And right. she said, sometimes they're in the trees. Oh, yeah. So do you have examples of that?
2: Yep. They're, they're in the trees, and it, I've got pictures It from my yard. I had a newscaster and his associate here, and this was in the summertime, and we have some huge pine trees on our property, and we went for a walk down by the creek, and I showed them areas that they had been uh, bending the boughs of the the. Uh, you know, different weeds and, you know, making little uh, glyphs with them and stuff. And I just was filming because we use these Coleman camera glasses. They're video and audio when we research Mm -hmm. so that our hands are free and, you know, hopefully the Bigfoot don't know that we have cameras on all the time. Mm -hmm. And I got, when I got home and put the video in and started, I usually freeze frame it if I see something of interest and up in the tree was a sasquatch
0: Wow! right
2: above us and we walked underneath and you know there it was and i sent it to them and they were like oh my god that is creepy yeah so yeah you have to look up you have to look up in the trees
0: before we burn up the hour gail uh tell us again about your group uh, where people can find out more about it and your book
2: Yes, um, the book is A Young Researcher's Guide to Bigfoot and that's available on Amazon or if you're ever in the area, it's here at my bookline and thinker bait shop. And then we're on Facebook, Bigfoot Researchers of the Hudson Valley. And then we have a website which is bigfootresearchers.com. Oh, okay. And then we're also on YouTube under um, Hudson Valley Hudson Squatch. One or under Gail Baby or Bigfoot Researchers on YouTube.
0: Okay. So
2: we have, I think, over 100 uh, YouTube videos of our investigation
0: there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Puts us to shame, doesn't it, Ben? We have what? Four or five? We'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. Okay, let's take another question from Peter.
1: Sure. So Peter writes to us. Uh, as well so this is two of three um, MIBs or men in black have been known uh, to have connections with UFO cases do you find that there are men in black that are also involved in Bigfoot cases
2: yes definitely oh we have, Yeah. Oh. Um. I had a fellow from New Jersey that was having some trouble with a big male Bigfoot on his property and he had called me and um I think I told him not to contact the DEC or any agency, but he did. And he got a visit from two interesting gentlemen. Um, and they were asking him all kinds of questions. Um, you know, they went around his neighborhood asking about his credibility. Uh, they threatened him to lose his job, they kept telling him he saw a bear, Um, Mm -hmm. they really made his life uh, quite difficult, and um, I believe that it's a special forces operation, because they said that they would take care of the problem, and, um, you know, that he should just not go in the woods for a while, and they would, you know, they came back with all these vehicles, and people dressed in certain kind of uniforms. And they went out, I don't know what they did, but I'm pretty sure they did something with sound, because he said his dog was outside, and um, they made, I don't know, it's some new technology, I guess, that the government has that they might use on these creatures to immobilize them or harm them in some way. And his dog, like when they let out this inaudible sound to humans, But the dog, like, started whimpering and crying and, you know, really was distressed. And so, yeah, he had that experience. So I do know that there is some kind of a special forces agency that when you have a dog man or a Sasquatch encounter or cryptid, um, they will come in. But, um, you know, they can really mess up your life if you don't, if you start talking about it. You know, no. and,
0: yeah. And yeah. here you are on the radio. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, that, that's extremely interesting because in the, uh, well, what we call the flap area cases where there's always Bigfoot in one form or another, uh, right. we always encounter, and we've we worked on six major flap areas, we always encounter the military or something that appears to be the military. Always, and our theory yeah. is wouldn't they like to find out where Bigfoot goes to and comes from, harness the uh, paranormal energies involved or whatever in order to militarize them? I think that, that oh, maybe yeah. or, or to industrialize you know to, to commercialize I mean, that 's another yeah. possibility so uh, let 's try to get our third question in there from uh, from Peter.
1: Sure. So, Peter, finally, the the conclusion of Peter's questions. um, Does strange electromagnetic phenomena occur in Bigfoot cases?
2: Yes. Yes. Um, They use something that we call infrasound. And I have been hit only once, and very mildly, but I have been around people that I don't know if the Bigfoot don't like them, uh, they don't feel comfortable around it, whatever it is. They have become um, sick. It's almost like an electric charge, like if you stuck your finger in a, a socket or touched a live wire, and it can affect your internal organs. It can disorient you. You feel sick to your stomach. You get dizzy, weak. I've got people falling on the ground. Connie, for uh, an example, fell right, was knocked right on the ground from me. So And they do uh, shut off our equipment, our phones. Cameras, iPad, everything has been shut off. When they're, you know, if they don't want you in there and they, you know, they have a little vendetta against you for whatever reason, you know it. So, yes, that does happen.
0: Yeah, the the notion of infrasound is very interesting in this field in general because it it can either open doors, so to speak, if you want to call portals, or it can make the... uh, Make people think they're seeing things as well. Now, Ben, at what frequency does the eyeball start to vibrate?
1: Uh, I can't remember. There's it's four hundred something. It's a, it's like
0: four hundred kilohertz. Four hundred or eighty-five, I think. Well, I, I don't like to speculate. We I can't. Know. I can't remember honestly. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Well, that'll be your homework, gonna, Okay, uh, yeah, right. I'll, ch- we'll I'll that check up. it out. Check that I think that out. I looked
1: yeah. it up before, and then it, there there was no like conclusive study on it. No, no. There so isn't. I was like, it was like, ah, it could happen here.
0: But it, it, it has happened. Uh, it happened at our own house many years ago, mm. and uh, the question is uh, what, what's happening there. And uh, and uh, the, you're the first one I've heard, uh, Gail, uh, bring infrasound into the Bigfoot picture. Station. Actually,
1: Alexander Petikoff mentioned it.
0: Did he? Okay. Yeah, during
1: during one of his presentations, and um, I think it was at the New England UFO conference conference uh yeah it was at the new England okay. UFO conference because you mentioned that some creatures that we do know of can emit um infrasound through like special glands oh, or, or right. something that they have so if if that's the case there's already a precedent in nature for it okay I yeah that they somehow. said
2: elephants uh, lions elephants you know certain large uh, animals can do that but yeah. This is a like an electrical charge. I mean, yeah, it is felt weird pulling up my leg. Um, other people, you know, through their whole body, and it can damage your internal organs.
0: So, well, that's what I get for studying a philosophy instead of zoology, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so Gail, um, the no, the notion of the smell is very interesting. Uh, I never smelled anything in in the, the one or two encounters I've had, and I'm wondering, <clears throat> you know, many people do, of course. Um, I'm wondering if would you would you agree, or or would you think that perhaps the uh, the smell is a defense mechanism, and that they don't ordinarily smell like that? But would, as in the case of a skunk, uh, when they feel threatened, would release a smell? Any evidence of that?
2: Yes, I do believe that when they are threatened, or you know, and angry in some way, they can emit it. I have very rarely smelled it. I mean, I have smelled it several times. But I've been out around them hundreds of times, and only a handful of times have I smelled it. And okay. so, you know, well, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, Connie Imming, our team member, and a new member at the time, Brian, were we were at a known hot spot of ours, and we broke into two trails. So we took I took the lower trail. They took the higher trail. They smelled this god-awful odor. So, you uh, know, they, were, Connie was videotaping at the time, and she says, oh my god, smell that? Brian's like, oh yeah, what is that, a dead animal? So they just rode it off as a dead animal. Mm-hmm. A few, a uh, few yards, they, they walked down the trail, it was real hot, they stopped to get a drink of water, she shut the camera off, put the backpack on the ground, they hear whack, 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 and, you know, something smacking like trees or brush or something, So they got really scared. They grabbed their packs, ran, met with us. Like we got home, I looked through the video. There was a mother's Sasquatch with an infant on her left shoulder, a juvenile in front of her. The mother had a stick, the juvenile had a stick, and about 30 yards in front of them along the trail, but in the woods maybe, you know, a little ways was uh, what we believe is a dog man. With pointy ears pointy snout standing there watching as uh, almost like guarding this the mother Sasquatch watching the two young so I have pictures of that as well on my um, site on Facebook but uh, there was really really strange that they smelled that horrible odor and then the Bigfoot started back in the tree and then to see this other creature uh, standing there as well it, it was Quite an experience that
0: day. Well, you walked right into the next question, Gail, because it was going to be about uh, upright canine cryptids, things of that kind. Um, Yes. Are these also seen in the Hudson Valley? Obviously, they are. Yes,
2: yes. And also, um, up north in the Adirondack area, a fellow had, he just had to sell his farm because he's got these dog men looking in his window. They broke into his house. They have been in his barn, and he's at wit's end. He has to sell all his cattle, and he has to move. He has an infant little baby and a wife, and they said, that's it, we're
0: done. I'd love to see the police it. report on that one. Oh, God. Yeah. If there is one. If there is one. Which brings us to the matter of the uh, of the food exchanges that we uh, we very often hear about. People somehow build... You know, relationships of peaceful coexistence with, as we used to say in the old <laughs> back right. when we were kids, we were talking about the Soviet Union. But uh, peaceful coexistence with, whether it be the dogmen or uh, it seems to be much easier to build that sort of thing with with uh, the Bigfoot people, if you want to call them that. Um, and we have lots and lots of reports from people who have said that they have, uh, over a period of time, uh, done food exchanges, and one fellow in North Carolina said that uh, the Bigfoot would bring him, firewood for his house because he, he built uh, farther down the hill than he was planning to and they appear apparently according to him seem to be grateful for that so whatever's going on here there does seem to be the possibility for a peaceful exchange
2: yeah well I, we don't suggest that people feed them because the fellow that I was telling you about that had the habitation site he was leaving them all the sandwiches every single day religiously he had a funeral to go to in the city. So he was gone for, I think, four days. When he came back, they took all of his patio furniture.
0: <laughs> his he patio went, furniture.
2: Oh yeah. they were pissed. They were angry. Uh, you know, they, they, no, it's not a good thing to feed them because if you ever do have to leave or something and you forget to feed them, it, it angers them.
0: So, well, that- and
2: plus you don't want to draw them
0: too close to your home. Oh, yeah, okay. You know. Well, we're, we're, uh, we're low on time here, but just, I mean, what, what what's to say, but how does he know it was actually these creatures uh, stealing the furniture and doing this sort of thing, I mean, not just a human crook?
2: Well, he saw the tracks, you know, the footprints.
0: Oh, okay. Like
2: footprints on his porch, and yeah. he was scratching on his screen and doing all kinds of stuff. Interesting.
0: Throw rocks at him, yeah. Okay. All right, well, would you give us your uh, website one more time?
2: Okay, it's bigfootresearcher.com, and uh, Facebook, you can message me on Facebook, I'd love to hear from
0: you. Okay, great. Well, thank you, it's very interesting, Gail, and uh, good luck with your work, and we, uh, we're in touch off the air anyway, and uh, maybe we can uh, hook up some time for a, a Bigfoot adventure.
2: I'll take you out to a hot spot. Sounds good. <laughs> righty. thank you so much for having me, I really enjoyed it.
0: Very good. Thanks for being on with us. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye now. Okay, we'll get to our announcements. Thank you uh, to the people who in questions. Certainly, Peter, we, we really do appreciate uh, all your input, and they were very good questions. Uh, our next event will be the fourth community meeting we will have had in the Pennsylvania flap area, uh, paranormal flap area in the west central part of the state. Uh, that will be at 1 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, April 25th uh, at the Over the Mountain Restaurant in Rockton, Pennsylvania. It's primarily for residents of the area to update us on experiences, but there will be a presentation by our group, including ourselves, uh, our ever-popular guest co-host Shane Searway, astronomer and science channel personality Mark D'Antonio, filmmaker Alexander Petikoff, and broadcaster and UFO researcher Charles Credo. All are welcome. There's no charge for the event, but people are encouraged to order from the menu to help thank our, our hosts. Uh, details are on the public events page at BehindTheParanormal.com. Uh, Tuesday, August 6th, 7 p.m., uh, I'll be at the N- Nashua Public Library in New- Nashville, New Hampshire, to present a program entitled Extreme UFO Encounters in New Hampshire and Beyond.
1: And right on the heels of that on Saturday, uh, August 17th uh, at 2 p.m. We'll be at the Haverhill Public Library in Haverhill, Massachusetts to uh, present on Extreme UFO Encounters in Massachusetts and Beyond. Uh,
0: my book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds and God, will be released August 28th. We'll be in stores after that, and we'll feature... Uh at our all our fall events. It's now available for pre-order on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and The Usual Suspect. The official release will be uh, with our good friends at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire, on Saturday, September 21st, beginning at 2 p.m.
1: Uh, but before that, we'll be at the uh, 2019 Exeter UFO Festival where we will speak for the eighth year in a row as well as do our fourth annual live broadcast from uh, this uh, event with a panel panel of the speakers that's on Sunday, September 1st uh, from the Exeter uh, New Hampshire Town Hall. And uh, this is a great event and is sponsored by the Exeter Kiwanis Club and uh, will benefit local children's charities.
0: Okay, I better see what we're doing next week there, Ben.
1: Yes, so next week... On uh, May 12th, uh, animal communicator Karen Anderson returns uh, to the show after several years to talk about talking with animals. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: so get your of, We'll do a lot of talking that
1: week. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's been
0: a while since we've had her on, actually. Uh, 2013, I think. It was ridiculously long.
1: Yeah, it was a really long time. Yeah. So get your questions to uh, paulatbehindtheparanormal.com and uh, message us on Facebook or you can uh, call during the show. That's 401-766-1240.
0: Uh, just Before we end, I just did want to mention, we're going to be a number of places this fall. Uh, Book Club Bookstore in South Windsor, Connecticut. Book Lovers Gourmet, Webster Mass, Blackstone Public Library here in our home listening area. And uh, lots of other interesting places. Uh, Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Mass on Columbus Day weekend. We have a busy fall coming up. So we'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll leave you uh, this afternoon with another astounding thought from uh, dear old Albert Einstein. The most beautiful thing we can experience, excuse me, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. Hmm. And what do you think of that, Ben? I think it's great. I like Mm -hmm. Albert
1: Einstein. He's a smart guy.
0: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) an understatement. Well, anyway, uh, I'm Paul Eno. And
1: I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you behind the paranormal.
0: Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now. For another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.